imagine two brothers growing up together. And it doesn't have to be two, well, in this case, it's two brothers. But I'm sure a lot of you relate. You guys all probably have siblings. And you grow up together. You share toys together, clothes, probably share a room together. These two brothers were with each other the whole time. They get to know each other. They get to, to see who they are. Their personalities are probably different. You've probably got one that is a bit more mischievous than the other. But whatever it is, as you grow up and you become, they become men and they have their own families, there is still that view of them of how they were as the brother growing up, right? How many of you guys have siblings that you still kind of see them how they were back then? And so when one brother comes into the house, just kicks the door open and says, brother, you're not going to believe what I just found. Depending on who, how they grew up, are they going to believe the very next thing they say? I, I, I think back to my, my, I have one sister, and she, uh, if she came in and said, like, hey, hey, I got something, am I going to believe the first thing she says? Probably. She wasn't necessarily, she was a lot of things, but a jokester, no. Me, on the other hand, I think she'd question anything I say. Now, unfortunately, like, as I was preparing this sermon and uh, realizing, well, you know, but I've grown out of it. I'm different. I'm not horribly like that no more. And then God, God, God was like, no, I'm going to show you that that's still a thing. So on Friday, I'm meeting with some of the younger men in the church, and, they're just, and we're in the youth room, and we're talking. And as we're finishing our meeting, there is a, you know, remember those 90s magic eye posters. They're so frustrating, right? But yet there are some people that are like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I can see it. Well, there's one of those in the youth room and they see it. They say, what is this? I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you, that's a magic eye thing. And what you do is you look at it for long enough and there's an image in there. They both turn around and look at me and be like, come on, you're messing with us. I'm like, no, really? They're like, and, then, and then I go, I take it off the wall. I said, sometimes it helps if you just put it by your face and you slowly put it back. And then you'll see it. There's, a, there's like an eagle there. And then the, they just would not believe me. They're going like, come on, you're messing with me. There's nothing there. It's just a design. We know you, Michael. These, these, these men have known me for years. Um, I was a youth pastor. And it's just, that's just, I guess that's just how it is. But I'm determined to, to like, no, I'm not joking. I'm telling you the truth. There is a, there's an eagle in this picture. If you just look at it, they've never even heard it. I'm like, man, this was like any grandma got you for the, if you grew up in the 90s, this was like your stocking stuff or this is what grandma's got you. Some grandmas put it in their house like a work of art. But so then I run. I'm like, I got to prove them wrong. I run. I go into the office. I find Pastor Mandy. I said, Mandy, come here. I need you to tell these, these boys that I'm telling the truth, you know? And then she comes in. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, there's an eagle. And then they go, no, you told her what you were going to say. This is all a ruse. I'm like, come on. So then I got to go find someone else. I got to find a responsible adult. I find Jim, our, our creative director. I say, hey, I'm not saying nothing to you, Jim. Come in. What is this thing? And finally, he says it. And they go, oh, well, we'll believe him. 
I'm like, all right, well, I guess I deserve that. Eventually, they look into it, and they see the eagle. Well, Jim saw it. He says, There's, it's an owl. But it was enough. It was a bird. Those things are frustrating. I could never make out what truly it is. I could just know there was something there. Anyways, they end up seeing it. blew their minds. So you got a, you got a whole new generation of kids that don't know Magic Eye that this Christmas, you can blow their minds. <laughs> so it's going to make a comeback. Anyway, so back to the brothers. You get one brother. He comes in, and he says, I have found him. I have found the Messiah. Andrew tells Peter. Peter looks at him and be like, what? The Messiah. The man that we have been praying about, looking for, that we've read, we have studied, that generations, prophets, teachers for hundreds and thousands of years, or just thousands of years, have been waiting for you found him? Yeah. Where did you find him? Just walking on the beach? Come on. Really? You found the Messiah? And so Peter, he goes along with it. He says, you come to see. You're going to see him. You're going to hear him. And, and, and just, just experience it for the first time. So Peter goes, and he's on the boat. Jesus, he, he asked Peter, can I stand on the boat? Because when I speak, it's going to project. And let me, just, let me just speak to the people. He said, sure. Gets on the boat. Peter's still not really buying it. But over the course of the, him, Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the crowds. And Peter in the back, just seeing the backside of Jesus, not necessarily paying attention to what Jesus is doing, but seeing the crowd and seeing how they're reacting to what he is saying. There's something here. There's something about Jesus that maybe my brother Andrew was right. And so the, the sermon stops, the people go away, Jesus turns around, he says, what are you doing? Fishing. Well, put your nets on the other side. No, that's not going to work, Jesus. See, you're, you're a rabbi, I'm a fisherman, I know. I'm not going to tell you about rabbi things, you don't tell me about fishing things. Jesus being insistent, Peter eventually does it, brings up all the fish, and in that moment, Peter knew who he was. He experienced Jesus for the first time. He had known about him. He had seen him. But when he finally saw the miracle, he now knows Jesus. Think about that. Think about that, that time when you made that decision to follow Christ, made that decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard the stories, you've done the Sunday school thing, but it wasn't until something miraculous happens or something in your life that you finally says, said, I am going to cross that line. You remember that? For some of us, it was a long time ago. For others, it might not have been. But it's a moment in our lives that we'll never forget, right? The moment that we cross that line, you had a life-changing experience. And in that time, you make decisions, Am I going to keep doing what I normally do, or am I going to stop and live a different life? And we do. For the most part, we do. We stop, and we take upon values and characters that, that, that represent the Christians and, and, and the church, and, and we're, we're good with that until we're not, until time passes or things happen in our life that we have to question our own values and characters. So today I want to look at Peter 
I want to look at his life in, in four different stories. And one of them, when Peter was now chosen, he is one of the disciples. And if you have your Bibles, Matthew 14, 27 says this. This is the disciples that go out on a boat. Jesus was tired. He says, I'll meet you later. I want to sit and pray. I got done preaching. And so the disciples go on a boat, and they're immediately in a storm. And as they're on that storm, they see a man walking on water. You guys know the story. They immediately think it's a ghost because no human can ever walk on water. So Peter questions it. Lord, if it is you... You know, first off, let me, yeah, they're freaking out. But then Jesus immediately said, verse 27, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? All right, look, this is a great story, but there's a lot in this story that we don't know. Like, I don't know, how far was Jesus out? I mean, far enough to where they didn't recognize him at first, right? So he wasn't like a couple steps by the boat. Far enough where they had to question, who are you? They questioned whether or not he was a ghost. Then the other thing is, it doesn't actually ever say how many steps Peter took. Like, right? Like I've seen movies, I've seen things where he takes a couple steps, he falls. But for all we know, Peter walked on that water for a while. We don't know how many, but we do know that he saw the waves and he fell through the water. He started to focus on his own crisis. He started to focus on what was in front of him. And instead of whole, having that fully trust in God and not focusing on him, he looked at the waves, he looked at the situation, and he fell through the water. Now, look, we have to give Peter credit because he walked on that water, right? He did it. He, uh, I mean, if it was me in that boat, I would just probably say, well, if it is you, Lord, then what animal am I thinking of right now? <laughs> it wouldn't be me going out on the water to prove a point. So let's, let's give him some credit. But when, G, when Peter is faced with his own crisis, things kind of change. Have you been there? Like there's been times in our life where we can be the prayer and we're praying for people. It's not our crisis. But when it is, things change, right? See it from a different perspective. All right. So Peter kind of blew it, but he still walked on water. All right. Next thing. All right, Matthew, let's skip to Matthew 16. This is a good one. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they're sitting around, and Jesus finally wants to ask the most important question that all of us need to ask ourselves. It is one, I think, to me, I think it's the most important question that we will have on this earth, and that is, do, who do we say Jesus is, right? Because that, that kind of tells us where we are. 
And so he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do, you think, who, who do they say I am? And they start naming all these things, like, oh, you're, you're a prophet. You're you know, Elijah, come back from the dead. You're all these things. But Peter, Peter says, you are the Messiah, verse 16, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, which is Peter, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh, but by blood, by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. Holy moly. Do you guys remember being in school and there was that one one kid that got all the accolades, that got all the stuff? Can you imagine being in front of the other disciples, Jesus calling you out and says, you, you are right. All of them got it wrong, but you are right. And not only are you all right, but you are blessed, and you are the rock of the church. It is on that I will build this church. Now, if you were Peter, how do you think you'd be feeling? Pretty good, huh? Wow, I got that. And again, it wasn't like he just came up with it. This is that, you know, the Father revealed that to you. You're, You're in good graces. Six verses later. Not chapters, verses. Verse 21. From the time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day he would raise from life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block. He went from blessed, you are the cornerstone of the church, or you are the rock of the church, to now you're Satan, six verses later. Not chapters, not years, not day, well, we don't know how many days, but for us, six verses later. He blew it. Because Peter had the things of the mind of God on his mind. The things of men, sorry. He had the things of men on his mind. He wanted his will done, not God's. Jesus is telling him right then and there, this is the way God's outlined it. This is the way it's got to be done. And he says, nope, I don't think so. I would never let you die. Big talk. Jesus says, nope. That's not what God has planned. You are wanting what you have planned, not what God. You're Satan, and he rebuked him. He went from the top of the class to detention in six verses. Have you been there? Anyone had those, <laughs> those moments and then blew it the next day? All right, let's get to number four. No, sorry, number three. Matthew 26, go a little bit further. Uh, All right. So we're at the end. We're on Holy Week. Jesus has his communion. He has his final, the Last Supper. He's in Jerusalem. It's the end. And he's waiting. And Peter... You know, being Peter, says he'll never deny him. 
And then Jesus said, told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will scatter. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Then Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Basically saying, look, all these jabronis behind me, they leave you, I'm not. I'm, remember, I'm the rock. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And now they're speaking up because one guy did, right? Oh, yeah, 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 us too. Same chapter, multiple verses later. Jesus gets arrested. Everyone scatters, just as Jesus said. And Peter follows him as long as he could until he didn't. This is now Peter was sitting. This is after Jesus was arrested and on trial. Jesus was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also are Jesus of Galilee, he said, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateyard, or gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, like I swear I wasn't with Jesus. I don't know the man. After a while, those standing out there went with Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. I mean, and immediately a rooster crowed. Man, what would it have been like to, 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 to have that final denial? And then all of a sudden, the rooster crows. Have you guys been there? Where you've, you swore you were going to do something, but, but, or that you would never do it, but then you do it, and then immediately you regret it because you're like, I, it happened? heartbreaking you know there was a lot that happened to jesus in that time spat upon beat you know accused of a lot of things nailed to a cross stabbed in the side but the denial that had to hurt and even though jesus knew these things were going to happen even though he knew that that was going to happen but that that had to be the one that got him. My guys are gone. Even if he knew it was going to happen, that still had to sting. All right, last one. This time we're going to go to John chapter 21. Last gospel, last chapter. Jesus died, he resurrected. And he appeared, it says, the Bible says he appeared to his disciples. Another time, it doesn't necessarily say, the only person that says that who was there was Thomas, but it doesn't necessarily say which disciples were there. 
After reading this, I don't think Peter was at the first one. So here we are. Verse 21.4. It says, Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net, and because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said, which is John, by the way. He likes to say that about himself. Um, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment, wrapped it on him, and then jumped into the water. He d- didn't care. He jumped into the water. He wanted to go see him. But did you catch what he was doing? He was fishing. He was fishing. Peter went back to his old way of life. And Jesus is like, look, man, three years ago, I asked you to leave this. But because of the defeat that Peter endured, he just went back to his old life. He went full circle. So at some point, you know, he's sitting there and he sees the man on the shore. The man says, throw the nets on the other side. You're like, hmm, there's something familiar about this. Didn't this already happen? But Peter went back to his old way of life. Over time, Peter lost what he valued most. Just like all of us, we can, over time, think about the values that, that you've had. And over time, they just, for whatever reason, they slowly go away. Sometimes we make excuses or, or whatever. Or we, we look at things, we're like, well, logically, if we just do this, then our values just slowly slip and they shift to make our lives easier. How many of you are excited that football season's back? Three of you. Great. Well, uh, I, I get the pleasure of, of I've been coaching football for, for a couple of years now. It's just junior high football. Um, so it's kind of less stress. But the fir- when I first started coaching, it was out at Western, and I was an assistant, and I would help out, and I learned a lot. I learned how to coach, but mostly what I learned was how to be a coach. Not necessarily plays or that stuff I know, but how to be a coach, how to talk to people. And I'm thinking, well, I'm a youth pastor at the time, and it should be easy for me, but it's kind of a different, different thing, coaching football versus being a youth pastor. And so I learned from the guy... Um, name's Bob Ward. He used to come to this church, and I learned a lot from him, his character and how he is with, with the students, and, and so I'm like, man, I, I want to do that. I want to be like, you know, that and be, you know, show godly character to these students, and then I got a job in Claremont, so I'm kind of out of the Christian school going to Claremont, but the whole time, I'm like, I want to do that. I want, that's the, the person I want to be. Now, another reason, that's like I should say maybe the main reason, but also the other reason is that I'm pretty decent at it, meaning that when I coached at Western, went to the championship, called the right plays, did all the right things. We, we lost, but whatever, but we, we were decent, okay? And I'm like, oh, I want to carry that over here too. First year, amazing. We go to the championship again, but we lose, Okay, now I'm the head coach. Now, now you kind of take that loss on yourself. You know, next year, championship again, we lose. Man, 
couple years of not great teams, uh, go to have another championship, we lose. And then I have a fourth one, and we lose. That was the 2019 season. And my friend, one of my mentor, not Bob, a different person, says, comes to me and says, hey, man, you're like the Buffalo Bills of football, which, again, if you know football, Buffalo was notorious for going to the Super Bowl four times in a row and lost every single one of them. No one wants to be compared to the Buffalo Bills, okay? For you non-football people, you don't want to be compared to the Buffalo Bills, but I was. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I'm just, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's, it's, it's we, yeah, we lost, and other times it's whatever. And he says, well, you know, well, tell me about your team. And I tell him about my team, and, you know, and then I start going into these stories, like, yeah, one year, like, you know, I had to, one kid all did, did some things, but, you know, he's really good, so I need to keep him on the team, and and then there's grades, and then, you know, you know, hopefully we kind of worked it out to where he could still play the championship game because he's really good. And my friend called out and says, well, so you, like, had a team full of, like, like there's just no character. And I was like, oh, he got me. He says, you, he says, are you more concerned about winning or developing character into these young men? The, right, the answer was winning in my head. And then he told me, he said, and this is what got me. Because, like, I have this whole philosophy. I'm like, look, you put in the time and you're practicing, you're doing that to compete. And the only reason why you compete is to win. If you play football out in the park or in, in the street, that's for fun. But when you're practicing day in, day out, and you're putting in the hard work, you, you, the goal is to win. It, you know, that's just the way it is. Yes, football's fun, but anyways. But then he said something to me. He says, so... He says, so by creating this, you know, trying to create this winning culture, what's doing them more favors? The winning culture or building the character? And he says, and let me remind you, you're just a junior high football coach. <laughs> now, I wish I could tell you all this was years ago. A ye- like, I was a young man. I wasn't. Like I said, 2019, do the math. This guy's schooling me. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not doing him any favors. I, over time, lost what I valued. I made excuses. And it wasn't overnight. It slowly happened. I lost the character that I wanted to be. It happened. So I say, the next football season, that's it. I don't care about winning. I don't care about a championship. It's just character. And then 2020 happens. We didn't have a football season. But the season after that, I was able to do it. I got, I went in, and from the beginning, I even talked to uh, even just the students. I said, look, this year, I, I, you know, we're not, we're only going to compete if your guys' character is strong. You have to get good grades. You have to show up to practice. You have to be respectful to your teachers. That year I started telling them, like, every single time, you, every single day, you tell your, your teachers thank you. Whether or not they did, I don't know. But it was all about character. I'm like, I don't even care. And they weren't that really great of a team, to be honest with you. So it was kind of, 
Easy for me to say that. But then we won our first game. We won our next game. We won the game, the game. You know, we went undefeated all the way. This was the, by far, the best group of guys I had ever coached. And I'm not talking about, like, their skill level, just who they are as people. And I would have teachers come and say, like, yeah, these guys are, these kids are great. They're just amazing. You know, I didn't have one kid get kicked off for grades. I didn't have any kids get kicked off for um, disciplinary reasons. It was just an amazing year because I finally put character first. I went back to what I knew was important. And so today... Today, I want to, I want you guys to ask yourselves two questions. First one is this, what does God say is important? What does God say is important? And the second question is, is what is important to God important to me? Let me repeat that. Is what is important to God important to me? Are we taking those things that God values, that God thinks is important, and are we applying them to our lives? It's kind of a scary question to ask. I know. I know. But let me tell you something what God values. First Timothy 3. It's kind of a lot, so bear with me. It says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate and self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and that he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and full under the same judgment of, as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fail into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So this verse, this is the verse where you're looking for church leaders, right? But it also applies to our life. What is not in there that, or what God is showing us in that, it shows that what God cares about is character. There's only one performance-based thing in that whole list that I said, and that was teaching. But everything else, it's about who you are. It's about who you are as a person. It's about who you are when no one is looking. It's character. That's what God values is character, character, character. Performance, nope, character. Are you a person of character? That's the value. Now, as time goes on, there might be a day where you go to another church or, or whatever, and I encourage you, whatever your new pastor is, find a pastor of character, not performance. Don't go to the, you know, the big showy stuff. The pastor of character is the one that's important. Okay? That's what's important to God. Everything is, again, yeah, not performance-based. So I want to look back at Peter real quick. I want to look about his spiritual performance that he had in the beginning. Like I said, big spiritual talk, all right? I, that's one thing in my life that I want to eliminate. That's one thing I want to eliminate in other people's life is, is being, 
big spiritual talk people. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like there are people out there, not necessarily in this church, maybe in other churches, but it happens. Try to eliminate that. One, it puts a target on your back. The other two is it's just not what God wants. Yet Peter, he had that spiritual talk, that big spiritual talk. Look what I can do. Let me get out of the boat with you. I can do this. Until he didn't. Until he started focusing on his crisis. Until he put his crisis at the forefront of, of his life. He talked a big game before he got out of the boat. Until again, crisis hits. We've all been there. We all have crises. We all have things that get in our way. We all have things that, that, that stop, that take our focus off of Jesus. But I'm telling you, put God first. And now what I'm not saying, I'm not saying you, you, you don't, I'm not saying that you, uh, you ignore those things. You go to the doctor's appointments. You go to counseling. You, you work on relationships. You work on, on, on things. I'm not saying ignore those things because you, you, you should. You shouldn't. But what I am saying is when, when you think about the outcome of those horrible things, think about what Jesus can do. Do the work, fix what you need to fix, but don't think doom and gloom. Think about how Jesus can fix it. That's putting Jesus first. If Peter, as he's walking on water, that he, if he would have just said, hey, God, before I take another step, because I'm starting to freak out, can you just calm the waves, and then I'll be good? That's what he should have done. And said he didn't. That's what focusing on Jesus is. The other thing, the other thing he did again is when he, he wanted to do things his own way, he wanted to control Jesus. He wanted to cold, control Jesus with his prayers. I've done all the things. I've prayed, and, and, and I've done the church thing. I go to church. I raise my hands, but yet my life is still not changing. I'm trying to control God, but yet it's not happening. Let me tell you something. I've, in my life, I have read this book cover to cover a couple times. So I, I know what it says. And this book is 100% a prosperity gospel because God wants great wealth for you. He wants great prosperity. He wants everything best from you. It says it in this book, I promise you. But what it doesn't say is that you're going to get those things in this life. The promise is in the afterlife. It's going to happen. The other thing is being concerned with the world instead of God. Peter was in such a place that he let little girls mess with him. He got so wrapped up in what the world thought that he completely forsaked everything he was taught, every value he's ever done because he wanted to make sure that who he was, he communicated that he is not one of those. And did you, get, did you get what it said at the end about how he cursed? Look, I'm not going to stand on this stage and pretend like I don't ever say bad words. All right? It happens. I'm sure you guys do too. It happens, right? But it wasn't until Peter started cursing that he convinced the others, oh, yeah, he's not one of them. There's something to that, right? Like, oh, yeah, you can't be one of those followers. You got the mouth of a fisherman. I'm just saying who you are on the outside 
to people that don't know you is saying something, right? And then when Peter was back to fishing, he accepted defeat. He's like, I tried all that. I did that spiritual thing. I'm just going to go back to the way to business as usual. I'm going to go back to my old way of life. I'm going to go back to doing things, you know, just normal stuff. It's over. Man, being in this church for over 20 years and, and being a pastor for about, I don't know, half of that, I have seen that play out so many times. These strong people that come in and they, 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 they experience something and yet they want to make that change, but then over time they just start getting picked off and they realize, like, man, this isn't what I thought it would be or how come God isn't doing this and God's doing that? You know what? I, I give up. I'm just going to go back. It is heartbreaking to see that. But it happens. Just like Peter. We can all let our character slip. We can stop valuing the things that God values. So let me, so let's, you know, I said God values character, but I want to show you a verse. And if you've got a pen and if you've got a highlighter, this is a highlight. This is an underline. This is a boss verse. This is one that maybe you should go back to and read over and over and over. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who is no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. I'm telling you, circle it, underline it, write it on, put it on your refrigerator. This is a boss verse. This is one we need to remember. Look, verse, I want to break this down. It talks about, you know, going back to the flesh and, 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 and you know, the worldly perspective. We see people right now in the worldly perspective. The disciples, all of them, they... They saw Jesus in the worldly perspective as a physical person as he's here. But they said, but we don't anymore because now he's a spirit. And that is far greater than when he was here on the planet because now, you know, now they view him in the spirit. And he wants us not to look at each other the same way. There's sub, not, not the, he doesn't want us to look at the person, but he wants to look, us to, to look at the substance of people's hearts, who they are, that they are a child of God, that they, that they, are, that they have to the same reconcile, the same forgiveness that we have. Not just church people, not just people you're sitting next to right now, 
not just people in this room, but the people at your work, the people at home, the, the, the people you know, you're seeing at the grocery store. Everyone is a child of God. And he says, don't regard them in the flesh. Don't regard them in, like the world. See who they are. And he says, anyone is in Christ as a new creation because we all are. We all bear that forgiveness. Whether or not someone accepts it or not, they bear it. They have it. Verse 18 says, give us the ministry of reconciliation. Some Bibles say, give us the ministry of reconciliation. That he gave us that ministry so that we can now give that back to other people. And it says, then you're an ambassador. And you're more than just a messenger. That you are representing the honor and reputation of God out in the world. Think about that. Think about who you are. You're an ambassador to God, that God has called all of us to be that way. I love this verse because it explodes false identity and pride and self-righteousness. It explodes Satan's lies and accusations against us, and it blows away fear that makes us hide and run away and deny the gospel message, we talked about a couple weeks about the gospel message is the most important things, and it must, all of us here today, fill our minds daily. How you parent, you need to have that gospel mind. How you, you know, work at, you know, at your job, if you're a boss or if you're over people, have that gospel mentality. If you're in school, have that gospel in relationships, gospel mentality, gospel mentality. What is gospel mentality? It's grace and reconciliation. The value of the gospel message is that God values grace and reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? That we have, that we have a God that values that? Grace and making things right. If I could have the band come on up. So how do we do this? How do we live a life of valuing what God values and knowing that about grace and, and grace and reconciliation? And I wish I could say it's just a turn of a switch. It's not. Because it's a mindset. It's something that you have to choose to be different. But the first thing is this. Have this mindset. Just know that you live in a war zone. Daily you live in a war zone. That sin is still in our hearts and there's a war for rulership that tugs. Always. Just know that, okay? All of us wants what we shouldn't want, but we all have trouble controlling emotions. We all have trouble maybe losing it once or twice. But just know that we live in a world where daily the enemy lurks and wants to divert and deceive and destroy, okay? You live in a war zone. Second thing is this, most important. Because we live in a war zone, we also live in abundant grace. Abundant grace. So that last season, we went to the championship. And I was like, wow, I can't believe it. We did it. And it was at that moment, the championship in me, wanting to win, came back. You know, I told, I brought my kids, I brought my wife, like, we're in the championship. This is going to be amazing. We invited, you know, my family's there, their family's there, and we lost by a touchdown. It's number five. I'm 0 and 5. I'm worse than the Bills. 
Man, those kids cried. It broke my heart. I, I had a hard time not crying. We walked away the field defeated, you know, and then my wife comes up to me. That makes it worse because you're just like, I don't want no one to touch me right now. <laughs> but they did. And uh, we leave. The next thing on the list is the pizza party. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want to look at these kids. I ended up going because I had to. And went and talked to them. But then hearing from them talking about it was just a fun year. That they had no regrets. They had no regrets. They just, that we loved this year. And they thanked me for it. God restored that. God views you perfectly. Views you perfectly. Crap and all. He views, he knows exactly who you are. There's no fool in him. And yet he still loves you. He still gives you grace. In this everyday war of values, you are not alone. We are all here, the subject of grace. So if we say we are in Christ, we need to be seen as new creations daily. You mess up the next day, be a new creation. All right. Probably should do this now, huh? All right, let's do this. Communion. God gave us the gift of being a new creation from it, for his body, from his body. So, knowing that we can get up every day, ask for healing, do this now in remembrance of him. All right, it's because of his blood that we have the right to call ourselves new creation. We have the ability to not focus on what we've done, but we can focus on how he sees us because he sees us perfectly. And he sees us covered in Jesus' blood, forgiven people, reconciled people. So do this now for remembrance of him.
This week, remember you're an ambassador. Remember who you are. Also, sometimes it blows me away on how beautiful this Bible is written. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the good news, the last gospel, the last chapter tells this story. Jesus gets with Peter and he says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Ask him again, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Ask him again, do you love me? Peter gets a little offended, but he says, yes. And he says, that, that, that whole denial thing, we're good. I'm restoring you now. So if you've blown it with your character, know that you have a God today, this week, for the rest of your life that is going to want to reconcile your character, is going to want to reconcile you to him. It doesn't matter because that's what God values. He wants to give you grace and he wants to reconcile. Now we can take that on, but we have to also remember we're ambassadors and we have to do the same thing. Show grace and reconcile when you can. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you Go this week. Be with us all. Let us not all the things we have messed up, our hurts and hang-ups, know that you have reconciled us. That is your gospel. That is your good news. Help us to be great ambassadors for you, Lord. We thank you, God. In your name, amen. amen. All right. Have a great week.